Welcome back to the Dad Chronicle. I'm your host, Alex Albisu. This is episode 66. So today's conversation is a ton of fun. I talked to Brian Brushwood. Now, you likely know Brian from a ton of the work that he does on the internet and on TV. He has shows like Scam Nation, Modern Rogue, Hacking the System, and podcasts like Night Attack. He got his start as a magician and has a ton of awesome tricks up his sleeve, not only with magic, but as a parent. So he shares some of that with us today. We talk about taking that leap from the life of a corporate citizen to the life of an entrepreneur. I never minded the idea of failing at being a touring magician, but I did deeply mind the idea that I would spend my whole life wondering what might have been. We also talk about what it's like having a partner join you in the business of being an entrepreneur. I'm I'm oftentimes fond of saying that the two happiest days of my life were the day that I hired Bonnie and the day I fired Bonnie. And we also talk about the way positivity has an influence in parenting. Once you make everything a compliment, the new worst thing you can do is give no energy to a thing. And now here's my interview with magician, comedian, podcaster, and father, Brian Brushwood. I'm here with Brian Brushwood. Hello, sir. Thank you for being on the Dad Chronicle. Oh my gosh, can't think of a better way to spend a Sunday afternoon. Oh yeah, it's rainy here in Northern Virginia, so staying inside and saying, you know what, I'm going to sit down with Schwood here and we're going to talk about dad stuff. And I love it. <laughs> I mean, that, that really does sound like the daddest Sunday afternoon ever. <laughs> get together with other dads and talk a dad talk. Yeah, this is what we do. All right. So you uh, you and I worked together uh, very briefly in America's Next Top Podcaster. I don't want to blame it on you, but my team lost that week. So <laughs> you were our coach. Look, what do you have to say for yourself? So wisdom I can impart, man. It's either in you or not. Oh, I get it, dude. It was it was such a it was such a fun opportunity to to work with you there. I've loved everything that you've done. Uh, big fan of your YouTube work and and Night Attack. It was great to to have some one-on-one time with you. So do appreciate your time on that show. Oh, um, dude, thank you guys for, uh, for, for trusting in me, even oh, though my, yeah. my advice was apparently a lie. It was, it was a lie. But dude, what, like, what in God's name was Brian Ibbett thinking when he was like, go do a comedy podcast <laughs> and make it relevant to these three very unique individuals and have them all love it and win that week? Comedy is so subjective. And so it's just, it was... It was brutal, but you know, it was a lot of fun. You had a lot of great wisdom. So I do appreciate that. Um, and you actually bring a lot of other wisdom. So you have three daughters. Uh, would you like to introduce us to your family? I think that if people know you on the internet, uh, oh, sure. they, they know yeah, Bonnie. We, we, we talk but. an awful lot. We do a little bit of oversharing on the night attack podcast, but it's me and my wife, Bonnie Brushwood. We have three beautiful daughters, uh, uh Penelope, Josephine and Calliope or Penny, Josie and Callie. Fun fact, we named all three of them specifically so uh, the with the little life hack in mind that you can't say any version of their names either long or short whether you're happy or sad you can't say any of it without smiling so it's like even if you're mad you're saying penny and you're forcing yourself to smile wow so okay one of the things that i've always admired about you is like your abstract way of kind of looking at things and and that's very evident with things like scam school and and some of the other stuff that we'll talk about but i think that uh that right there is a great example of how you've brought that into your parenting. Is it, do you do you have any other like weird little abstract things that you've done in regards to how you parent your kids that almost is like a life hack in itself? Well, we, we did have, uh, thank goodness we never had a boy because if it was going to be a boy, no matter what his name was going to be, it was the middle name was always going to be Effin 
so that even when I was angry, it would sound awesome. Like, uh, Baxter effing Brushwood, get over here. <laughs> now, when his uh, when you say that in front of his teachers, would they just be like, excuse me? And then you have to look at them and be like, eh, no, his name is effing. It's fine. Was that was that premeditated? <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, basically, I just wanted something uh, metal to, to, to put in there. I love it. It was either that or Thunder as a middle name. Oh, which is that why is great. I never had a boy. Yeah. Okay. So, what's it like having three daughters? As somebody who has a two-year-old daughter going on sixteen, what is it like for you to have three girls? Uh, it's a delight, man. It's it's great. I have uh, uh, nothing but ladies in the house. There's no competition. Uh, <laughs> so I, I get to be all. In fact, all of my dogs uh, had their nuts cut. So there's the. I get to be the dominant, most testosterone fueled individual in the household. Oh, I love it. All right. That's great. Now, you know, I think about you and I think about like two words come to mind, tomfoolery and shenanigans, two words that yeah, come yeah. to mind for you. Now you, uh, you spent a lot, <laughs> you spent a lot of time, uh, in your life, uh, doing, you know, performing magic shows, um, various, uh, comedy sort of related projects like night attack and some of that stuff. Like, so what is, um, how do you impart that sort of silliness into your everyday life of, you know, just spending time with your kids? Uh, well, I mean, part of it is, is, is part of it is creating organic opportunities where we just find ourselves in the same place at the same time together. You know, like, uh, part of it is like, uh, you know, I take my daughter, my oldest daughter to school each day and it's this delightful 30 minute drive where there, there's nothing but the two of us chatting. In fact, the other day I was driving and, uh, and I was like, oh man, you know, Penny, taking you to school is the highlight of my day. And then Penny goes, oh, that is so sad. <laughs> <laughs> so but, that but is part hilarious. Of it, your, your daily rituals in such a way where you organically find yourself just locked off. You know, it's that whole uh, sitcom trapped in an elevator situation where you guys have to work stuff out. That's so funny. So, okay. I mean, it doesn't surprise me with like you and Bonnie that your kids are sarcastic like that. Do you have good stories about your kids and some of like the sarcastic stuff that they say? Well, and and what's funny is I don't even think uh, she thinks of it sarcastically. I think that to her, you know, uh, driving to school is is the boringest part of the day. That's just where she has to go. But but you know, I try to explain that it's like uh, it's a difference of perspective. It's it's especially as somebody told me recently that. 95% of all the time you will ever spend with your children happens before they turn 18. And knowing that, I mean, you'll, you'll see them after they turn 18 and it'll be pleasant, but it will never, ever be the same. And, and as, as Penny's 15 now, I see that clock ticking and it makes me treasure every single moment. Now, how are your kids are, uh, all sort of different from each other? Uh, like, do they all sort of carry that sort of perspective, you know, you, like, do you see similarities throughout all the kids? Oh, certainly. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, and, and as any parent will tell you, you look at your kid and they seem to be a mashup of, uh, you could tell which parts come from the mom's side or the dad's side and so on. Uh, you know, with Penelope, I see this, uh, this, this, this twice gifted brilliance where she is so, so sharp, but along with that comes an impatience for, any of the BS uh, or, or of the tedium 
I look at her handwriting and I think, oh yeah, no, I get it. It's like the ideas are in your head and you can't, your dumb, stupid hands can't write fast enough to get it onto the page. So as a result, you know, my handwriting is garbage as well. But then I look at uh, Josie and I see uh, so much of her mom in her and that she's, you know, so meticulous and, and is able to handle tedious tasks and do a uh, beautiful, precise artwork, stuff that I could never, ever do. But on the flip side, she also walks into a room and she has that uh, that EQ, that emotional quotient, that emotional intelligence that the moment at the age of 11, she walks into a room and she is instantly able to kind of scan and figure out like, OK, who's in charge? What what is this party need to keep going? She essentially just steps into the role of of of, you know, party leader, uh, so, you know, and and, and Callie is uh, I'm terrified will be the best of all worlds and end up taking over the country because she really does seem to have those book smarts and uh, and also be able to read the room as well as Josie can. That's great. Um, you know, one of the things that comes to mind with you and uh, is your story about how you started out really in the corporate world. You know, you, you've had a love of magic and some of the things that you're pursuing today really since you were a kid. But, you know, when you started out working in the corporate world, how far in were you when uh, when Penny was born? Was Penny born while you were a corporate citizen or when you were an entrepreneur? Oh. As a matter of fact, we held off on all that because uh, I guess I guess what? Out of college, uh, the first job I had, I, I had a phone room job working at an extended warranty company. And, and now I understand why nobody should buy an extended warranty because <laughs> very quickly I realized that our job was to keep making up nonsense tasks for the person to do until they got so mad they threatened to sue, at which point we would finally send out a tech. And then, uh, and then I went to from there to testing video games for uh, Rockwell Semiconductors. They had a new sound card that they were working on, and so our job was to test compatibility with whatever the top 500 uh, computer games were at any given time, which was a great job, but paid garbage money. And so uh, I eventually ended up getting a job over at Dell, and it was a pretty good gig as far as working for the man goes, but we ne we I needed to get it so that we could qualify for a uh, uh, for a loan to get our first house. And about two years into it, there was really this moment, and I had been doing magic on the side, but there was kind of this gateway moment where it's like, okay, well, you're now starting to pass up opportunities at Dell so that you can do your magic gig on the side. And what you can't do, I, this is a chestnut that that blew my mind. Uh, a lot of people don't know that J.C. Penney had a partner at one point, and his partner loved to play trombone in local like marching bands and stuff. And because he was trying to serve two masters, he was there kind of with uh, uh, the J.C. Penney's organization, and they're kind of trying to be a musician. He ended up really kind of being neither. And so J.C. Penney eventually bought him out, and the dude went off to you know play trombone and be a footnote of history while J.C. Penney went on to change the, the, the retail environment. And so once I found that out, I was like, I can't serve two masters. And, and uh, it's fine. I, I never minded the idea of failing at being a touring magician, but I did deeply mind the idea that I would spend my whole life wondering what might have been. And so originally, this would have been around, what, 25 years old. I, I asked Bonnie if, if, like, just give me a year. Let me get this out of my system. Uh, if, if, if it doesn't work out, I'll just turn around and get a real job. It'll be fine. And uh, to, to Bonnie's credit, she said, you got a year. I'll keep the lights on. And uh, after the year, 
Uh, I still hadn't made it, but I was far enough along to have a really good idea of what it would take to get ahead. So I said, quit your job. Let's do this. And so two, three, four years later, uh, finally, I was touring and it was in 2003 that now I was 28 years old and we knew that we had to delay family making if we wanted to try to make it as entrepreneurs uh, just for the for the risks involved. Yeah. But around age 28, that's when that uh, biological clock started ticking. And Bonnie told me, she said, look, I am not going to pressure you into uh, having a baby. I will never be one of those wives. So I am telling you that I am ready to make a, make a baby, but I need you to propose to me all over again. And so on her 29th birthday, I, uh, I, I, I had a piece of jewelry and uh, uh, forgive me if you have to bleep this, but uh, I got her a birthday cake that, uh, that said, happy fucking birthday. And, uh, <laughs> and I got down on one knee and proposed to make a baby with her. And, uh, and we did that for each of the kids. That is so great. I love that. I've never heard somebody explain like how they've proposed to have a baby before on this show. So you are well, first. That's and I great. think it's so important because a lot of times it's this kind of, oh, I don't know if it happens, it happens or whatever. And we didn't want that because if, if you go into it half-assed, we were afraid that it would lead to this like, oh, this happened to us and what were we to do or whatever. We very much wanted whatever happened to be on purpose. And so I think if Bonnie's insistence that there be another proposal for, for each new chapter, I, I think was really, really healthy because from, from the very beginning, we knew that this was something that we had both bought in together. I love your all's relationship, by the way. I think that you guys <laughs> have, have like a really cool sort of back and forth. And I, uh, I, I often think like, did you guys have a lot of struggle as you were trying to break off and do your own thing and really start making a name for yourself sort of in an entertainment s sense was did that cause a lot of rift in the family yeah the, i'm i'm oftentimes fond of saying that the two happiest days of my life were the day that i hired bonnie and the day i fired bonnie uh <laughs> the day uh the day i hired bonnie was when i was like okay we're a year in and by golly i think we've got what it takes i i have a plan i've read these 17 books on sales and entrepreneurship and, and business and all that stuff, you know, let's, let's really go for it. Uh, but two and a half years later, uh, it, it's an unbelievable strain on a relationship to not only live together, uh, but also work together. And for her full-time job to be rah, rah, hooray for Brian, uh, you know, that, that, that runs out the clock. And so, uh, after uh, about, I, I think it was after I had been on the tonight show, I hired a full-time manager to, to get me booked and uh, fired Bonnie. And even then it didn't feel like a momentous occasion at that moment. But I remember six months later talking to Bonnie on the phone and she goes, uh, and she says, Oh yeah, where are you? And then she goes, Oh my God, for the first time, I, I have no idea where you are. This is wonderful. <laughs> I don't care where you are. <laughs> yeah. So, like, like that ability for for her to extract herself and to uh, be running her own life was truly wonderful. And that that's when she started diving into her art stuff. But then um, but then we got to that point where it's like, no, I think we want to try for a baby. And uh, and we did. And, uh, you know, Bonnie had to press pause on her art career for another, what, 12 years. It's really only been the last three years that she's hit hit the studio in force and mm -hmm. gotten back to work. Now, how in turn have you been supportive of her endeavors now at this point? 
Uh, well, and that's been one of the really interesting things about the last three years. Uh, ever since doing the TV show, Hacking the System, uh, that was definitely a high watermark as far as momentum and exposure and getting my face out there. It also was extraordinarily taxing on the family. And, and it's a real tribute. Uh, it's a real testimony to, you know, Bonnie and, and, and all of the loved ones in my life that everybody put up with the, the earthquake to the schedule that that was. Uh, but along with that came that moment where it's like once, once we knew, once we started doing uh, the modern rogue and we knew that we could continue momentum with the property that we could own and, and, and do on our, on our own. When Bonnie went back in the studio, she sort of said it to, and she, she earned it. Uh, she was able to say, Hey, this is the thing that has to happen. I have to go back in the studio. The, it is time. Uh, and she said, as you know, a lot of things have to happen. I leave it to you to figure out how to do it. And on the on the one hand, you could make a case where it's like uh, to some people that might seem irresponsible of her saying peace out and make an art. But on the flip side, it was exactly what I needed because I was able to figure out like, uh, OK, like I don't, I don't mind taking Penny and uh, we can get the kids off to school and all that stuff. So for a good two and a half years, I, I just sort of played Mr. Mom. And luckily, we were in a position between the online store, between uh, uh, Scam School slash Scam Nation and Modern Rogue. And, and night attack and all that stuff that uh, that I was able to do it. But the the one thing that I had to give up uh, was was also touring doing doing the live show. And uh, that that did take a little bit of head work because uh, it, it 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 took some getting used to 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 using the phrase, I used to tour full time with a with a stage magic show in in the past tense instead of in the current tense. But now, you know, the, the gifts of that have been tremendous. Not only have I been present for the kids' upbringing in a way that I was not able to be while I was on tour, but but as a result of focusing on all of uh, you know the stuff where the money's coming from, we're able to build out this new HQ and and we're starting to to do uh, you know double down on all of these properties and do so much more productive work. Yeah, you weren't so. Uh, actually, I'd like to dive a little bit more into the kids when they were younger, how, so it sounds like you weren't really there as present as you are today, which is understandable if you're doing a ton of travel, right? Like, so how did you make it work to be present when you could? Uh, part of it is, man, there, there is such an ecstasy. If you have any kind of job that takes you out on the road, because when you're on the road, there's nothing else in the world that you're supposed to be doing. If you're on a plane, that's all you're supposed to do is be on a plane. If you're on a stage setting up for a show, what are you you're supposed to be doing your taxes during that time? No way. And then, you know, when you're on stage, when you're off stage and then the show's over, it's like, well, no, now your job is to go to sleep and go to the next city. Uh, I, I loved it for what it was, but only after I stopped touring did I realize that the real gift is all the things that it wasn't. It was this constant permission to not be worrying about stuff. And then even when I would get home, it's like, uh, no, my job is to, you know, see the kids and play and all that stuff. Whereas uh, nowadays it's, it's, and, and don't take this as a negative thing, but I'm deeply aware from the moment I wake up till the moment I go to bed, there's a low grade suspicion that at any given time, there's something more important I ought to be doing. And uh, the one exception of that is uh, of course, a uh, time that I'm spending one-on-one -on -one with the kids, which is a, uh, uh, a wonderful, wonderful, uh, I, I don't want to say excuse, but, but reason to, uh, uh, to, 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 to put the rest of the world on pause for just a moment. 
No, that's under, I understand that 120%. Um, you know, I, I look at with you, you're at this place now, it feels like where you're able to, a lot of this stuff that you're doing, you've got a good flow with it, right? So how do you manage, I mean, you still got, you're still juggling a lot of things. You got multiple shows, you got podcasts that you're doing with a variety of people. How are you effectively juggling this stuff and playing, you know, Mr. Mom? <laughs> I, I suppose the big question is how you would define effectively, but uh, but, <laughs> but I know that uh, there are certain obligations that are inflexible, like, you know, uh, kids got to get to school on time. And then there are other obligations that are flexible, like, uh, you know, it's, you know, I'm trying to answer emails, but my six-year-old wants to, you know, show off her, her unicorn backpack or whatever. And um, it, it, it's, it's, it's something I still struggle with. Because, of course, all I want to do, it's extremely hard to ever say no to your kid when they want to share a moment with you. However, kids are very good about asking for a lot of attention. And so uh, and, and it's, it's, it's a bit like feeding a raccoon where it's like you, you, you got to draw a hard line on this so that uh, so that you don't end up just full time doing nothing but listening to My Little Pony some summaries. I, I've never heard people refer to giving their kids attention as the same as feeding a raccoon, but it makes but, total sense. But you know, I'm right. But you know, I'm right. You got to draw that line. You're damn right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, you know, you're, you're spending a lot more time with the kids. How often are they able to, you know, really appreciate the, the stuff that dad does? Like I, I heard you saying, you know, the other day that you were going to this, uh, to this conference, this video conference where you're going to be, you know, on stage and it was, you know, an attempt to kind of impress your 15 year old. Um, yeah. how often are you trying to bring your kids along on this journey that you're on? Uh, you know, it's, it's really weird because the kids just, they, they can't, I, I, I would say at a biological level, they're not meant to be impressed with anything I do. Like I remember, I remember watching uh, <laughs> watching Star Wars: The Force Awakens, and there's there's Greg Grunberg showing up uh, as a, a what Snap Wexley, I think his name is, and uh, and and I lean over and I, I tap Penny on the shoulder. I'm like, "That's my friend Greg," and she's like, "Okay." <laughs> I'm like. How can you not be blown away by that? That's amazing. <laughs> Same thing for uh, like uh, only now as they get a little bit older, like she's barely starting to get more impressed. We had uh, we recorded some Night Attack episodes and we had uh, my my longtime friend C. Robert Cargill who wrote the uh, the Doctor Strange movie over. And so uh, and I'm like, hey, uh, Penny, do you remember Cargill? And she's like, no. And I'm like, Cargill wrote Doctor Strange. And then this is the height of, of like, as a parent, I'm translating. Uh, but, but you know, <laughs> the way I heard it was the most excited response she's ever given, which unfortunately to outside ears sounded like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> and so you, you learn to translate from teenager into, into human. You, you, yeah, in the back of your mind, like, yeah, nailed it. I got it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, that I wanted to, to bring up was, you know, now that you're in this situation where, you know, you're, I would say there's a general level of fame that you are experiencing. How do you, um, there, there's a balance, right? Like you mentioned earlier on in the show that you guys are pretty open, right? Like you and Bonnie are pretty open about your family situation and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and, and it was funny cause I had this conversation with Kim, uh, you know, Scott Johnson's wife and, uh, you know, learning about 
Hey, like, you know, you guys are pretty open too. like, how, like, how do you guys find that balance there? Cause you don't want to like put everything out there. Like, have you guys found some like hard lines and you don't have to go into specifics obviously, but like with those hard lines, how have you managed them with any conflict within the family? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not something that we've had to sit down and, and write out a written policy or anything, but I think in general, and I think Bonnie would agree with this where it's like, uh, uh, Certainly share and be honest uh, because there, the question is who owns a story? And if a story makes me look bad, it's totally fair game. If a story looks makes Bonnie look bad, that's totally fair game. If a story makes the kids look good, then that's totally fair game. But what we wouldn't want to do is share a story that makes the kids look bad or, or an extended member of the family look bad. So in other words, like, if it's going to be a story that we perceive that any of us perceive is going to, you know, negatively portray anybody, then I think in general, we want to have permission from that person, which is why, uh, recently, recently we talked about on night attack, uh, my wife dropped off Penny at she, you know, she's 15 in ninth grade. And so it's a small enough school that they have a school wide prom where they get on a boat in, uh, Ladybird Lake in downtown Austin, Texas. So Bonnie dropped her off and was just hanging out at, at a, a hotel for three and a half hours. And I happened to be close enough. And of course, I didn't want to fight traffic to get out of town. So I came by and, you know, we, we uh, had a glass of wine and we're like, oh, we should get in one of those kayak boats. And so we went down and, uh, and the guy says, oh, I'm so sorry. We just, we, it's 745. Uh, we just closed at 730. I was like, oh, well, why are you still here? He's like, well, I have to wait for the rest of the boats to come back. And so you know, I'm, I'm like, oh, well, so what you're saying is if we don't mind going for a very short ride, we, we could be back by 830. And he's like, yeah, I really shouldn't as as he's getting up and walking us over for to the boat. And, uh, and so he ends up giving us one of these giant uh, swan paddle boats for us to paddle around. And we realize when we're on the water, like, oh, I bet we can find the boat where Penny's prom is happening. So we paddle over and we find the exact boat and we're able to spot Penny on the boat. Oh my and God. We're, we're seeing her do. And by the way, as we're telling this story, <laughs> we're, we're trying to hide and not get caught trying to spy on our daughter. And then as we're telling this story on Night Attack, in the chat, somebody says, this is a literal B plot of a Disney sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> and so and so and it was great because there was a moment that we thought Penny had busted us and then and then there was follow-up stories and it was it was a really fun story but I knew that I couldn't share that on Night Attack without getting Penny's permission which meant I had to cop to the fact that, that we were that we were a, a Disney B plot. And uh uh it was really great to to be at a place where you know, as as she becomes, uh, you know, increasingly a grown up and uh, through her teenage years to be able to treat her with more agency and ask her like, hey, do you mind if I share this? And of course, her answer is like, yeah, nobody watches your dumb show, dad, whatever. <laughs> you know? uh, but uh, but but it, it's 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 great to figure out as we have increasingly interesting stories where those lines are. You know, one thing I I, uh, I, don't, I realize I don't know much about in your context is your dad. Does your experience being, you know, raised by your dad, does that translate into uh, how you approach your parenting style? Yeah. What, growing up, my, my mom and dad always said, you know, it's like, oh, I don't want to, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And mom's mantra was always, you know, do whatever makes you happy. 
And I just assumed that's something that all parents say to all kids. And then I got married to Bonnie and found out, no, that's a rare thing for a parent to say because her parents were like, uh, they, they were not fans of the decision for me to quit my day job and do, uh, and do magic full time. They, uh, they, in fact, at some point, I believe one of them said that I had married under false pretenses. Oh my <laughs> and it God. wasn't until after I had been on the Tonight Show that they decided like, oh, maybe, maybe it won't be so bad. Yeah, kind of. Uh, he's on you know, national television now doing a thing with somebody famous. Yeah. Yeah, but 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 to the credit of both my mom and dad, uh, you know, my dad took a lot of opportunities, and we transferred a lot within. Uh, my dad worked in the oil biz, and whenever there was an advancement opportunity that involved relocating, he would take it, and that was that was great because uh, it didn't feel great at the time as a kid to uh, to move every two years. We, uh, my earliest memories were when I was born in. Uh, Southern California and lived there until almost age six. And then we moved to Houston, Texas. Then we moved to uh, Denver, Colorado. Then we moved outside of Houston and then overseas to Norway and then back to uh, Katy, Texas. And then as soon as I went to college, mom and dad moved down to Venezuela. Uh, on the one hand, as a kid, it was it was a bummer, you know, constantly moving. But But I'm convinced that that's a big part of why I didn't mind being on tour, why I don't mind, um, I don't know, taking big risks. And uh, because as a kid, I constantly knew that, like, whatever, two years from now, I'll be in another city and the big reset button will get hit. And uh, I, in many ways, I feel like that was a gift given to me by, by my parents. Not that they did it for that purpose, but, but I think some genuine good for me came from it. Yeah, what do you say to those who maybe are in the that situation where they're afraid to take that leap? Uh, you know, it's it's tough because usually there's there's very good reasons and everybody has their own individual appetite for risk and for change and you know, in my case there was just, you know, change was so constant that uh, uh and there was nothing I could do about it that I just, you know, learned to develop those muscles, but uh, I'll tell you on the flip side, who really impresses me is somebody who never signed up for that much change and risk is, is Bonnie. You know, she came from a, a, a very uh, conservative household where, uh, you know, her dad did extremely well in a structured environment, in a corporate environment. And they, you know, she grew up in the same small town and who you were in third grade was, was who you were known as when you were a senior graduating from college. So if, if you pee-peed your pants in third grade, you were still the pee-pee person uh, when you walked across that, that stage of graduation. And I never had to deal with that. So in many ways, it's more impressive that Bonnie would sign up for this kind of like punk rock honesty than, uh, than, than for me to be okay with it. Yeah, that see, it, it's amazing that you have this partner who is so like invested in, and I think about like you know Deanna, my wife, who's like just so all in on, you know, all of my creative. She's just supportive, right? Like that is so empowering for somebody who's a creator to uh, to to really go forth and do their thing. I think that's really awesome. Um, you know, and, I, but, and I feel like it's a it's a two way street because like when Bonnie announced, hey, it's time for me to go in the studio, uh, right. you know, recently we're, we're having to make some investments because she's not able to get her work fired as fast as uh, she does ceramics. By the way, if you go to sunshineclay.com, you'll see some of her work, but they're very, very big vessels, which means 
it's difficult to get them fired because they take up so much space. That means other people can't use the kiln. And, you know, we're getting ready to figure out how to how to buy our own kiln so that she can up her output. And there's some part of her that sounds um, I, guilty isn't the right word, but but just worried like, uh, hey, is it OK that we're spending money on this? And I told her I was like, Bonnie, you were a very savvy investor in your early 20s and you took a very big risk in me which means now you get to enjoy all the dividends that come from that. That's right. I don't get to tell you no about about much at all. So please enjoy this. Yeah, and, and speaking of which, I mean, the, the fact that you're building, you know, this whole new uh, facility, would facility be the right word? Sure, cult compound works cult too. Cult compound, you know, place where people can be burned uh, at the stakes legally for, you know, uh, cult purposes. That sounds reasonable. Um <laughs> So, I mean, this is like, I see that as like a huge stepping stone for you uh, because like you're, you're being known uh, in, in bigger, wider circles around the world here in the internet and, and beyond. So is that, are you starting to see that impact any of your family life at this point or has it just been like a gradual growth and it's just kind of smooth sailing as we're going? Yeah. No, it, it definitely is is impactful because um, to do this right and to make sure that we are, uh, you know, in in compliance with everything, it's uh, time schedules are. Uh, we're figuring out the time schedules, but we knew, uh, but it's increasingly looking like we need to move over there to that facility to live there sooner rather than later, which, you know, for me, I don't care. It's like, you know, I live my life on the road. Just give me, you know, a, a comfortable mattress and I'm happy, but it does matter for the kids because, right. you know, that's, uh, that's, that's going to a different school district. That's, uh, that's changing where, you know, what, what their social life looks like. And, uh, Penny, uh, Penny goes to a, a private school when she'll just be closer to the private school. So, but, uh, and, but Josie has her, her friend network, and like, it'll, it'll impact her the most. And especially, you know, for me, it was never, I never had a, a, a say in it. It was just announced, Hey, we're moving to this other city or whatever. But, um, uh, but, but now I want to make sure that all the kids are on board. And so we're going in stages. We're saying like, Hey, you know, what would it take to make this fun for you to move to this new place? And it's like, we'd be able to build, you know, uh, you know, what if we made two houses instead of one house? We have so much room on there. That'd be fun. What about this? What about that? And the kids are, you know, kind of trying it on for size right now. But uh, but hopefully I, I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page and we're all, all right. excited as we uh, as we build stuff out over the next year. I mean, how do you think each of them is taking that at this point? I mean, it sounds like it sounds like Penny's OK with it. Uh, yeah, Penny was surprisingly resistant. Oh, but OK. Then, I'm reminding her of stuff like mainly because Penny is adverse to change in general. She's like, uh, I like the way things are. Uh, don't change anything. But then I remind her, it's like, well, you know, we could, we could get a cat and have an outdoor cat and could, ha we could get a goat. We could have, uh, we could, we could do There's These are all the things that could happen. Goat parkour. You got enough room. You just set up the goats. Yeah. Have you seen those videos? They're great. Uh, yeah, yes, yes, exactly. Uh, and, and so, you know, Penny's, uh, they're mulching on it, you know, and same with Josie. Josie's concern is that, you know, she's like, oh, but all my friends or whatever. It's like, well, you know, your sister's about to get her license and we can work it out to where you see your friends two or three times a week. It just, you know, yeah, yeah, you'd be going to a different school, but, but you've never had trouble making new friends instantly. 
And then, uh, and then meanwhile, the one, the one easy slam dunk is, uh, you know, our six year old is just like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> new adventure. Uh, cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, like, okay. So uh, I'm sure parents experience this all the time. Like I haven't experienced it yet with Aria because she's, you know, about to be two. Um, but you know, this idea of change of moving of, of all that, how do you feel like you are able to successfully do that with your kids? Is it just this sense of transparency and almost like a quid pro quo, or is there more to it than that? No, I, 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 when you, when you put it that way, it does sound a little bit Machiavellian. What I think of it as is, um, as a parent, it's not my job to, there are schools of parenting that are dictatorships where people are saying, this is how it's going to be under my house and all that stuff. Um, I've never been a fan of that mainly because I haven't perceived it to be very helpful. What I feel like that type of parenting encourages either explicitly or implicitly teaching the kids to, to lie to their parents and to make it adversarial us versus them. Whereas, you know, for me, I, you know, I'm like, hey, kiddo, uh, it's your life. Hi, it's me, your advisor. Uh, I'm going to tell you what what I strongly recommend you do and things I, I you know, will and won't allow uh, and what natural consequences will come from X, Y, and Z. But in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, specifically getting the kids to go along with stuff, I mean, the kids have power too and, and they can decide to ruin events. And, uh, you, you know, I think, I think many of us have memories of family trips that for whatever reason, everybody just yells at each other the entire time. And you end up logging, you know, what a shame to spend that much time, energy, and money into an event that everybody's just going to remember everybody yelling at each other for. Right. So it's like in that regard, uh, I'm, I'm much more into uh walk away power to where it's like, eh, you know what? Sounds like you're not into it. We, we, we won't go there today or what have you. That's super awesome. I mean, you take the time to hear them out and you really, uh, you, t you take that into consideration as part of the family unit. I, I think that what you said is so true. Like a lot of parents will have that dictatorship sort of style. I think that that is, I don't know, it, you know, everybody has their style, right? Like I don't want to sit here and judge people on the way that they parent, but it's just like not my thing. I would rather, you know, and, have and Aria be informed. Specifically like trying to meet force with force only, like we, we, you know, we never hit our kids, uh, mainly because we, uh, well, for two reasons. One, because uh, research shows that it, it doesn't seem to work, and number two, because when, uh, of all the memories I want my kids to have of me after I'm long dead, uh, me hitting them, I don't want them to, that to be one of them. Uh, and, and you know, meanwhile, there are natural consequences to things. You know, kids can be uh, troublesome, and they can be testing. But there's there's things you can do that doesn't involve ever having a fight. For example, uh, a friend of mine was was really having a conflict with his. I, th I think it was a 16 year old, and and was seeking advice. And I said, uh, just change the password, change the Wi-Fi password, and don't tell him. And wait for him to come ask you what the Wi-Fi password is. And now you have a position of authority, and you can say like, oh yeah, no, I changed the password because of this thing you did. And then it's like, well, give me the password. It's like, now all of a sudden you have something they want and you flip the power dynamic. And at no point did you have to announce this as a punishment. At no point did you have to have a fight and, and, and make a threat that either, you know, you couldn't follow up on or anything. And likewise, there was one time uh, uh, my oldest, uh, Penny, was 
disrespectful when I asked her to go feed the dogs, which is, you know, her responsibility, but she wasn't feeling it at that moment. And so she shouted and spat at me or whatever and walked out of the room and without a fight or anything, I just reached over and grabbed her iPad. I pulled down the attic door and tucked it up in the attic and then closed it and then left the room. And 30 minutes later, I hear her screaming up in her room. And at no point did she come out and run and demand anything from me because she knew exactly why her iPad wasn't there. And she knew exactly why her iPad wasn't there. And after two or three days, she came and gave a, a sincere, heartfelt apology. And I didn't, I, I, I thanked her for it. I didn't give her her iPad right then and there because that would be crass and make it a transaction. But Within the next 24 hours, she walked into her room and her iPad was back on her, her bed. It was delightful. It was like it was it was it was it was parenting with a gentle hand, the invisible hand of consequences rather than any kind of, of forceful shouting or anything. So two things. I, I love that. One, I love that you uh, brought the whole magician. It's here. Now it's gone bit into yeah. uh, to the iPad. <laughs> exactly. <right. laughs> uh, the, the second thing is, is that I love how it sounds like, you know, like your, your kids naturally have this sense of, uh, they understand, right? Like they understand that what they did was wrong and it, there really wasn't, there didn't have to be that sense. And I think that's what a lot of people don't realize with kids is that they have an innate, I think, knowledge of what is right in these, in these sort of circumstances where, yeah, it may take them a little bit of time to sort of figure that out, AKA, you know, realizing that, Oh yeah, you took away my iPad. I should probably go apologize. Like they can work that through rather than you sitting there screaming at them, smacking them or whatever. I think that that's a, it, yeah, it requires and, patience. And that, that is a tough thing to do. Uh, and, and the, um, uh, at, at one point, Bonnie and I found out about something called the nurtured heart approach, which was fairly life-changing for the two of us. There's a temptation to believe, or many people perceive that, um, there's sort of, if a kid is doing good, then you're neutral. If they do really good, then you give them praise. And if they do bad, then you give them punishment. But there are some kids that are fairly immune to punishment. And so in those cases, you know, you can heap grounding after grounding on top of it, but it doesn't get you anywhere. So what do you do in that case? So essentially what the nurtured heart approach or, or NHA uh, suggests is that you basically alter the money supply of, of affection. So Day one is you resolve that never again are you going to try to use a, a negative reinforcement to discourage certain activities. Instead, you're going to uh, immediately start showering them with intense praise. Your job is 20 times a day to find them, uh, to find something worthy of giving them a compliment of at any given time. Now, it, sometimes it'll be because they did something thoughtful, like feeding the dog or whatever. But even if you walk in and all they're doing is reading a book, you make it a point to walk up and say, look at you reading that book. You look so poised and having it together. I love that you're so self-starting and you can, you, know, you, you can, that you're so interested in the arts. That's awesome. And then even if they do something negative, you find something praiseworthy where it's like, you know, I saw you arguing with your sister. And even though it got really heated between the two of you, I really dug the fact that you never once thought to punch your sister. Cause I know a lot of kids would do that. And it makes me really proud that you didn't hit your sister. And, uh, uh, once you make everything a compliment, the new worst thing you can do is give no energy to a thing. So if they're shouting at you, if they're, if they're doing whatever, instead of matching their shouting with your shouting, instead you give them the cold shoulder in the form of, 
you know what? I really can't handle this right now. I'm going to take a moment to reset. Uh, give me a moment. I'm going to go to the other room. And wow, that, that is brilliant. Point, they get no energy. And so that becomes the new basement. And they realize that shouting will never get a rise out of you because you are always going to take a moment to reset. And the best part is very quickly, the other kids pick up on it and they start saying like, you know what? You're shouting at me. I'm going to take a moment to reset. And then, uh, and, uh, it, 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 it really changed everything. We were, we were dangerously close to being one of those families where everybody's yelling at each other all the time. And, making that pledge where it's like, we don't do that anymore and we're not going to be that family was, was absolutely one of the most powerful things. And it's like, everybody works stuff out. The worst thing is, is when things get intense, uh, everyone in the family says, uh, you know what, I'm going to take a moment to reset. Or they tell each other that was the best moment. It was when the, the, I think she was four years old at the time, our youngest, uh, uh, Callie, uh, said to one of the other girls, like, you need to take a moment to reset. <laughs> no way. She said that? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, and it's been great. Uh, that is fantastic. Now, all right. I, I always like to end the show um, asking my guest for a little bit of words of wisdom. Like, if you were to think about a young Brian Brushwood in his early heyday, uh, you know, uh, becoming a dad for the first time, entering into this entertainment sort of space, there's a lot of uncertainty out there in the world in, in all of that. What would you say to somebody who's in that position? Man, that's, that's a tough one. I know, I know for me that the thing I was so afraid of about becoming a parent was, uh, oh, man, all the dorkiest, most disconnected, out-of-touch, uh, goofy people I know are all parents. And I was afraid that, that once you have a baby – you just suddenly disconnect from pop culture or whatever. Uh, but once, once we started making babies, I realized that all that happens is you drop the bottom 20% of things that you thought you cared about. So you still do everything that you deeply care about. But then, you know, you just have to pick some either ors. And for me, you know, I used to go to concerts all the time. I used to do live events all the time. And it just turns out that it's like I care more about video games than than that. And so I still played as many video games as I wanted. Uh, I just didn't go to as many concerts. And, and I never really felt the sting of it. So I would say to anybody who's afraid of becoming a parent, for that reason, just realize that that by definition, the only things you're going to give up are the things that you care about the least. Wow, that's a really interesting way of putting it. Yeah, I never really thought of it that way. That's really cool. Um, yeah. And, and oftentimes you don't even know that they're the things you care about the least. You know, you only figure it out when you're faced with those tiny, you know, one-on-one -on -one decision makings. Yeah. And, you know, and I, and I think about that statement and it's not to say that those, so, cause, cause I, that actually resonated a lot with what you just said. Um, or for me, it resonated a lot because, you know, when my wife and I decided that we wanted to start a family, the, the first thing that I said I needed to give up was that I was playing bar gigs. I was, you know, in a band and we were playing gigs, you know, at, at least, at least once a month. And then when we were doing that, uh, I, I said to myself, you know, like all the practicing, all the work of, of landing the gig and doing the thing, it's very taxing. I can't do that. I need to lean into, I, I need to give something else if I'm going to insert, you know, kid into the equation. And it's not to say that it was not important, but I think that the, the sense of least important, like if you, if you set it up as like a priority list, like that is much, that's a much better way 
of thinking about it because a part of me and why I'm saying this is that I felt guilty that music hasn't been a bigger part of my life up to this point. You know, I, I miss it. I don't, I don't get to do it as much, but here I am. I'm still podcasting. I'm still, you know, streaming games. I'm still doing a bunch of stuff like that. Things that, you know, I think were higher up on my priority list, but I was still able to prioritize family over all else. So that's a really interesting yeah, way of putting it. it. And, and basically it just shifts the line of, of must do um, obligations, but you still, you still have total autonomy and freedom on the rest of your life. And uh, like I say, it's like by naturally, you're just going to give up the stuff that, that it turns out you care about the least. Bingo. Yeah, no, thank you very much, Brian, for, uh, for sharing your story and imparting all that wisdom. That is so Dude, cool. Thank, thank you for for, for sharing a, a Sunday afternoon. Now I'm now I'm gonna go uh, watch the kids play and do more dad stuff. Yeah, and you know before we leave, uh, I mean people know who you are, but I always try to make it an effort to let people plug their goodness for anybody who may not know who you are. So do you want to take a yeah. moment to do that? Sure. If you haven't seen it, uh, check out The Modern Rogue. That's at youtube.com slash modern rogue or uh, Scam Nation. Go to scamnation.com. Learn how to be the most interesting person in the room. I have learned a lot of cool tricks that I take with me to parties. I especially like, I think it was a recent one where you were like, okay, clasp your hands together, put your thumbs out like this, and then you have to grip the bar and then you put the, the, the glass on top of it. And then you're oh, like, okay, steal fun. your, steal your drink. Oh, yeah. that's a lot of fun. Oh, that's a lot of fun to do to people. Cause then they're like, wait a sec, wait, wait, come back. <laughs> oh, it's fun. All right. Well, again, our guest has been Brian Brushwood. Thank you, sir. Dude, absolutely. Thanks again to our guest, Brian Brushwood. What an awesome story. What an awesome personality. Uh, loved all the tidbits and all the awesome information that he was able to provide. If you would like to chime in on the conversation, email us. The Dad Chronicle Podcast at gmail.com is where you can find us. And again, if you would like to become a patron of the show, if you like what you heard and you would like to support what we're doing here, you can head over to thedadchronicle.com. Click that Become a Patron button at the very top. And if you'd like to follow anything that I'm doing on social media, you can just follow at Alex Albisu. That is last name spelled A-L-B as in boy, I-S as in Sam, U. If you'd like to listen to other stories of fatherhood, again, the website is thedadchronicle.com. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. If you like this show, check out more great content at incastmedianetwork.com.